In recent history, I don't think there's been two more memorable games than UCLA versus Gonzaga. Both times, Heartbreak City and then Suggs at the buzzer. But what does it mean this time in 2023? Well, we'll talk about it on Locked On UCLA. You are Locked On UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. It's Locked On UCLA. I'm Zach Anderson Yoxheimer. That is Max Kelton. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Thanks for making it your first listen each and every day. It's free wherever you get your podcast, and it's available on YouTube. So like, comment, and subscribe. Let's get ready. Locked and loaded for UCLA. They're coming off the win against Northwestern. I've touched on it, I guess, in the last three episodes from the reaction, the preview, the other instant reaction, what I liked, what I didn't like. Max, you didn't give that, but we're going to talk about UCLA versus Gonzaga because it goes back to the Adam Morris and Heartbreak City, which UCLA then used to get to the Final Four and eventually the National Championship game. And then what Gonzaga did was Jalen Suggs two years ago, a heartbreaking half-court buzzer beater in overtime to beat the Bruins and eventually lose in the National Championship game. But either way, these two teams, when they meet up generally in the tournament, it's turned out to be an extremely fun game initially. We're not getting too much into keys today, but initially, what are your thoughts on the storylines and what are your thoughts on the game itself between the Zags and the Bruins? Well, I don't know if there's a team that's playing better basketball than UCLA in the NCAA tournament right now. And it looks like, you know, the Bruins and Kansas State are maybe the hottest teams in this tournament right now. You could talk Arkansas up there with them. But, you know, these, these are these are squads that can certainly make a run, right? So especially with the Bruins, Jaime Hawkes is coming into his own, and you can see the experience is shining, right? His, his veteran leadership has been very key for this team. Um, and that was, that was, you know, so clear against a Northwestern team that shines on the defensive end. But Hawkes, on the other hand, has not only scored the ball well, his defense has been impressive. He's gotten his teammates into it. We talked about that a little bit, how – how imperative it is for the entire team to really click. And they did. They did against a really good Northwestern team. Um, Amari Bailey has stepped up into that kind of defensive Jalen Clark role, a distributor. He he was really good. He was really good against Northwestern. Um, and I think that this might be the most anticipated matchup of the tournament heading into it, uh, UCLA-Gonzaga, because hey, Drew Timmy and Jaime Hawkins are very similar players. Um, fun players to watch, and I, I just, I love, I love, I love the matchup. I can't tell which way I'm decided, um, you know, leaning uh, early on. So I, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to Friday. It's funny. I in 2019, I was a volunteer at the West Regional. I don't think you were there, Max, but because you know, dealing through the the conference that hosted it, I got to be at the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. Gonzaga was there. Adam Morrison was there. I bumped into him, and no, I did not rub it in about the crying or anything. So I thought that, you know, because the biggest first moment is Adam Morrison crying on the floor, eventually being on the Lakers for a couple of championships there. But eventually, you know, he's now been on the Gonzaga broadcast team. I didn't rub it in. And then all the, that was all the storyline heading into two years ago in the Final Four. And then Jalen Suggs came out when the Bruins were major underdogs and somehow nearly pulled it out and could have got to the national championship game two years ago. And here the Bruins are sitting here with a, a very interesting 
I don't know if there's been an iconic couple of games between two schools like UCLA Gonzaga in the last couple of decades where they've played multiple times. Each team has won one, and the next team, the next game can move to the Elite Eight. And just like last year, the Bruins got to play a big dog. They played North Carolina, and the winner of that game, North Carolina, went all the way to the national championship and was 20 minutes away from winning. So the, the history of this matchup, the intrigue of everything, there's still a couple of players who hold down the fort from that game two years ago, especially Drew Timmy, although it wasn't the guy that made the shot. Hawkes, he wasn't the main guy, but Tiger, you know, it was Johnny Juzing. We see these guys who still might harbor feelings from nearly two years ago. And just initially, what are your greatest fears, you think, Max, versus what do you think UCLA can exploit of Gonzaga, just initially? Well, oh, for, first I do want to say, hey, back in 2019, Zach, you might not remember it. I was there. That was the yes, Texas yes. Tech yep. West, yeah, you were. West Regional. I remember hanging out with you after when we got Bruxy. We got the, the fried chicken and yeah, waffles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that major brain fart there. But that that was an that was an awesome tournament. That was an awesome tournament. You get you getting to see Mark View speak in person. It's almost like you know getting to see somebody who's larger than life and somebody who's not not so large in stature. It's it's funny funny paradoxical. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that's a really fun team. It's a really fun team. Now I look at I look at this um, I look at this matchup and and Gonzaga just does all the small things well. Fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. They're a really good scoring team. They get out and run. You know it. It feels like almost these two teams mirror each other in terms of what they do well and then where they struggle. Um, you know, they, they're they're both good rebounding teams. You saw Adembona play the other day. Hey, how about that? How about that? That's some promise for the Bruins, a little bit of a return for, for the big man. Um, I wish he would hit his free throws down the stretch, but regardless, still great, still great to see him um, in the basketball game once again. Um, Maybe the question for for me, the the initial fear is, hey, is the three point shooting going to be there for the Bruins? David Singleton rolled his ankle late in that game against Northwestern. Um, not quite sure what his status is. I don't know if you have any more information on that. I think the biggest thing um, is it, every from all accounts, it you know from various hosts, from various tweets, he's okay. Maybe it looked worse than it was, but again. How does that affect him playing, right? You can go out. You can strap it up. He can tough it up. He, he's certainly a guy that seems like he'll, you know, lace it up, tighten the, the laces. We saw Mari Bailey do that in the game, too. He also had a little turn of an ankle. Tighten up the laces, get going. But I, I don't think Singleton, if there's even an inkling, would miss this for the world. You know, if there's even an inkling, I think he wants to be out there, especially on the bench. I hear rumor has it Jalen Clark's going to be able to go and sit on the bench. So there'll be a lot of emotion, energy leaders around there, whether they're playing, whether they're not. It's just a matter of if Singleton is going to be efficient from three. You know, that's a different thing. Is he effective? He wasn't too effective, but he hit a big three late against Northwestern. If he's not too effective, what does he bring to the table? And is it injury related? We won't know until the game on Thursday night. No doubt about it. And I think that you know, if if his if his three point shooting is there, somebody's got to step up. Somebody's got to step up. It could be Andrews off the bench, uh, but somebody's got to step up. And you know, I I do want to talk a little bit more about Amari Bailey and how he's stepped up in a defensive role. You know, he he had 14 points, which is good. Um, I also really loved his distribution. This is a guy who, if you look at the lines early on before that game, he had a, 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 a his over under and assists was at one half. You know, point five. So. 
Um, he had six in that game. He really wasn't expected to do much to, in, in, in a passing role, but he distributed the basketball well. He was second in, in line to, to Jaime. And behind a guy like Tiger Campbell, um, I think that, you know, in terms of facilitating the offense, Amari Bailey did a really nice job. And, you know, he's young too, right? So he's going to continue to step into that role. And if you have some fears on what is coming for UCLA next year, you know, and when, when Hawkes and when Campbell move on, when David Singleton might not be in the Bruins jersey anymore, you know, there's there's some promise with Amari Bailey. He's got to be a little bit more poised, but you mentioned him rolling his ankle. Then I thought he played his best basketball of the day immediately after that. He was knocking down threes left and right. He's a sharp shooter. Um, and when you don't have players like Jalen Clark on the floor, that's about 10 shots per game. Those shots have to be allocated somewhere else. And Jaime Hawkins has done a great job stepping in. But I think Amari Bailey, his, his improved role has been really crucial to this team's success, and it will be moving forward. I think the biggest thing for me, what scares me is a bit of Gonzaga's size. Timmy just being that big man. Is Bona healthy enough to handle it? Is Hawkes, is he going to get that matchup? And can he handle the size? What is that going to mean? Can the Bruins hit the boards? Because Northwestern proved they were going to hit the boards. We didn't think the Wildcats would hit the boards, but they did. And that literally led to their comeback and adjustments. So one wonders, will the Bruins make their first punch? Will Mark Few adjust? How does UCLA move into that? And while we have still a couple of days until the game, we'll dive into that more later, and we'll talk about that more in depth in addition to that. But I do like the point that you mentioned about the facilitating. The Bruins had a lot of great facilitation, a lot of passes, a lot of assists, on a lot of made shots against Northwestern. So that was good to see, great to see for the UCLA men. And we'll talk more about UCLA Gonzaga. There's still lots of good stuff to talk about. Max will be back tomorrow to talk UCLA versus Gonzaga. Keys to the game. But we're going to talk UCLA women's hoops because they're also Sweet 16 bound and they need some love as well. But we'll tell you that after I tell you about FanDuel because FanDuel Sportsbook, well, hey, there's no better place to be with the tournament heating up. You should download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. You can get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 back if you're a new customer if your first bet doesn't win. From everything from point scores, money lines to three points, three pointers drained, you're going to want to enjoy it all. FanDuel can let you combine your bets for bigger same-game parlays. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see the URL. Or if you're listening, FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more about the no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you're a new customer and don't win that first bet. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, and partner with us here at LockedOn. Let's get it locked and loaded. Cruising on into segment two of Locked On UCLA, as teased before, we're talking UCLA women's hoops because they just beat Oklahoma, a game that looked like the Bruins were going to run away from the Sooners in the first half, only for Oklahoma to say, yeah, not so much. Those first 10 minutes of the second half were just absolutely brutal in the third quarter, only for UCLA to be trailing by one. Everybody in their, you know, everybody on the team seemingly had four or five fouls. Only for Charisma Osborne, who seemingly was on the floor trying to tighten up laces, ran into the cameraman down at the end of the baseline there, and then all of a sudden just turned it on, did not miss shots, and scored a career-high 36 points in a nine-point win against Oklahoma to set up with a Sweet 16 matchup against South Carolina, which can be its own word. But to get to the Sweet 16 after not even making the tournament has to be such an accomplishment, Max. It's it's really incredible. And Charisma Osborne, you can't say enough about this young lady. She's nearing 1,800 career points. She has been 
just just such a staple in this team's you know rotation for years and years. But she showed out against one of the best scoring teams in the country in Oklahoma. And I think we talked about it last week. If you could equate Oklahoma to a team on the men's side, it would be like Baylor. And those teams that are elite scoring presences, really good three-point shooting teams, both of them fell in the second round of the tournament. I was really impressed by UCLA's defense, holding one of the best scoring teams in the country to, what what was it, 73, per, 73 yeah, points? Yeah, Oklahoma averages about 85 points per game, and they're 21-0 and 0 when they score 80 or more. So UCLA's defensive benchmark did not have to be high for this game. I set benchmarks. This is what they were, Max. You weren't here on that episode. But I said, one, UCLA had to force 20 turnovers at minimum, considering Oklahoma averages near 17 per game. Well, Oklahoma turned it over 19 times. Maddie Williams herself, the leading scorer for Oklahoma, turned it over eight times. Even though she's scoring 24 points on 50% shooting, she had eight turnovers to six assists. That's not the assist-to-turnover ratio you want. So they got those turnovers, and the Bruins turned it into 16 points off turnovers. That's a key. Another thing I said, because it's a high-scoring game, UCLA had to hit their free throws because Oklahoma's a pretty decent free-throw shooting team, but the Bruins are one of their best having one of their best single-season free-throw shooting seasons ever in program history. They went 25 for 28, and who led that? Well, that was Charisma Osborne going 12 for 12 because you have to score free points when given the opportunity. And my thing was also make sure they don't score 80 because if they score 80, they don't lose. And they didn't score 80, and they lost for, I believe, the eighth time this year or something like that for Oklahoma. So it's a battle between Osborne and Williams, and all those benchmarks are almost pretty much hit for UCLA, and it led to a win despite a variety of things, right? Only being up 10, 13 at the half to see themselves down one after a, a horrid third quarter where they got scored by 14, but then they dominate and put up nearly 30 points in the fourth quarter. That's not always what the Bruins have done this year. It's nice to see, at least for now, those fourth quarter struggles put away to the side and eventually lead UCLA to the Sweet 16. Yeah, and and I love, you know, I'm really excited, you know, for both Sweet 16 matchups for the Bruins. But this UCLA matchup, a four against a one and the overall one seed in South Carolina, these two teams met earlier this year. And Zach, I remember, you know, we had talked about it. They met earlier this year. You've seen South Carolina in person. I've seen UCLA in person. Um, so, you know, both of them. Both of these programs are some of the most elite in the country, the top of the top. And the Bruins had led for three quarters in that game. What at was South the Carolina. difference? Yes, yes, at South Carolina, even, even better. What was the difference, you know, toward the end against the 32-0 team? Well, UCLA just struggled to shoot in the final quarter of play. They shot the ball so efficiently to open up, but then they went 0 of 8 from three-point land in the fourth quarter, three for 15 from the field. Um, and, you know, free throws, while important to finish off games, you know, it's not going to keep you in a game against the best team in the country. This is a this is a, a serious upset potential matchup for UCLA. They certainly have all of the pieces to put together a win against the best team in the country. South Carolina has shown some some signs of weakness this season. If, if the Bruins can continue to shoot the basketball well, you look at this last game against Oklahoma, they went 0 for 6 from 3 in the second half. They have to be able to play a full 40 minutes. They can't play 30, can't play 35. you got to play a full 40 minutes. But 
Corey Close is such an unbelievable coach. This team has all of the pieces, not just not just Osborne, but the role players and Conti and Hawkins, Gabriella Hawkins, who uh, stole the ball three times in that in that win over Oklahoma. She was good off the bench, eighteen minutes, um, eighteen minutes off the bench. I thought she was sharp, and she's continued to step up in her role this season. By the way, Gabriella and Jaime, I think the first brother sister duo to ever make it to the Sweet Sixteen for the same school in the same season. That in itself is a uh, very exciting too, but. It's a really good team. The Bruins are a really good team, and they're playing the best best team in the country or who has been the best team in the country all year. And I don't know if there's another team in the bracket that I think stacks up better against South Carolina here in the Sweet 16 matchup than the Bruins do, having seen what they can do this season. And already two one seeds on the women's side have been knocked out. So we'll see if the Bruins can do it to a, a third one. It just sucks that because of that midseason slump in Pac-12 play, they got a higher seed. They got the four seed. They gave them that first round hosting ability. They just said, yeah, by the way, we're going to pair you up with South Carolina in the Sweet 16, which is the one thing I harped on all season long. You don't want to get paired up with South Carolina. Any of these other one seeds are beatable. And not that South Carolina isn't, and they can, but you'd rather put that big jolly giant way down the line, right? You want to push that final four at minimum at, you know, at the worst or the championship, but hey, UCLA could shock the world. They could shock everybody by pulling this off in the Sweet 16. Is it going to happen? We'll talk about that more later on in the week. But it is a very tough one. And you mentioned with the one seeds going down, if UCLA is on a different side of the bracket, you've got Colorado as a six seed in there. You've got Utah playing LSU in the Sweet 16. So this is three of the Pac-12 teams in the Final 16. They proved they're one of the deeper conferences. UCLA got through the gauntlet. Now you just got to deal with the big, heavy giant that's right in front of you. And if the Bruins can show what they did against Stanford the third time and earn themselves a victory, shock the world, I wouldn't necessarily be completely 100% surprised. I'd be shocked if it happens. But still, UCLA has a chance. I know they have a chance. After seeing and watching it happen, they have a chance. South Carolina is quote-unquote beatable. And I don't mean that to say they're going to lose the championship, they're going to lose the tournament. But this isn't a few years ago when UConn or somebody was the top team in the country in beating everybody by 50. That's not what it's been this year in women's basketball. It might be a closer game, which means, in theory, that they're beatable. Will it happen? We'll talk more keys and that later on in the week, Max. But now we're going to cruise on to segment three of Locked On UCLA and end with some softball, softball update. So cruising on uh, to segment three, UCLA softball getting ready to, you know, they're in the crux of the middle of Pac-12 play, they've had some interesting wins and losses. We thought they might be unbeatable. That's been not the case. They're a top three team in the country, just behind the two Oklahoma schools. Max, you've broadcasted UCLA softball games. What have you thought about the softball team so far since they've dropped to Oklahoma, even with two conference losses already? Sure. You know, I was there this weekend. I was calling games for UCLA on the radio, and the softball team is... They are such an unbelievable group of young, talented individuals, um, poised, poised, really. And, you know, a, a young lady like Megan Faremo, who, you know, the Pac-12 Pitcher of the Year, she is a true Player of the Year candidate. 13 wins. She came into the weekend with 11 wins, um, which is, you know, it was six in the country coming in. She earned two more this weekend. Um, and this is a Bruins team that, hey, they were able to bounce back. They were able to handle some resiliency um, and adversity in that first game. They fell behind 4-1. to one. Brooke Yanez, who had went 9-0, and she was the reigning Pac-12 pitcher of the week. She struggled against Washington this week. 
and you know she she allowed four runs in that first game in the second game um didn't pitch and then the third game she started and struggled a little bit before Faremo came in and closed the deal um but she struggled a little bit and you know this is a team that fell behind 4-1 in the sixth inning Bruins battled back made it a 4-3 ball game and then they were in a position to win it in that seventh inning and Jordan Woolery was on an absolute tear this weekend. She was magnificent. Um, she, I, I think, I think she went five for six over the first two games, and the last game, you know, she, she just continued on that stretch. And this is something you know, the, the Bruins all season long have been a team where anybody can hurt you and anybody can step up on any given day. And Woolery was really impressive all weekend long. Maya Brady, she struggled in the first game. She was terrific the second couple. She went three for four, three RBI the third day of action um, as the Bruins were able to sweep that or to, to, to take that series win. Um, and, you know, it's impressive how they, how they play and, and bounce back. Um, that said, though, you know, a couple of holes on the defensive side of the ball in the first game that they, they were able to clean up. And I think Anna Vines, another player, who started at second base, didn't play against Cal in the, the Pac-12 opening series. She had a really, really good weekend, too. And I was very impressed with her, not only on the offensive side of the ball, she went three for three in that final game, but she was also sharp on the defensive side. Um, and, you know, pitching, 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 pitching. This team just, they were able to lock on uh, both sides of the ball. And Kelly Inouye Perez just does such an incredible job with this unit. It's just interesting. I guess the biggest question is, are they a national championship team? Are they going to figure it out? And with some weird run rule losses, right, getting absolutely blasted by Oklahoma, the game that's circled on the calendar, nobody can tell you different. They get blasted, although it's after a long weekend of games, emotional, tough games against top-tier teams they might face again in the tournament. And then you go against Cal, and I believe they got run ruled, and that was surprising. And then they lose the series opener to Washington. One wonders about the credibility not to just get through the tournament to maybe even win the Pac-12 or the Pac-12 tournament this year. I believe it's the first year softball is having a Pac-12 tournament. And how deep can they go in the NCAA tournament? Are they upset? Are they upsettable? And if it seems like they are very good, they should be in Oklahoma City by the season's end. It's just the problem is they seem more primed to get upset this year, unless talent is just that equal, right? There's just a little more equity across the, the country this year. But that's the biggest question. Well, that's, you know, it's an interesting point you bring up because last year they started out Pac-12 play 10-0 and with wins over number nine, Arizona, number nine, Washington. I think it was number 12, Oregon, you know. That's the best Pac-12 start this team, this program has ever seen. One of the most storied programs in, you know, collegiate softball history. So last year, I, I would consider it to be somewhat of an outlier. Now, I, I think all the pieces are there this year to make a, a, a title run. Um, and they're up there with the best teams in the country. It was a, it, it was a peculiar loss. I, I'd say a couple of days ago. Um, but you know, Hey, Washington's the number eight team in the country. It's not like they're playing some slouch, you know, and top to bottom throughout the, the entire pack 12. These are the Pac 12 for, for softball is almost like the sec for football. You know, it, it's, it's it, top to bottom. There's so many good teams. And the competition is there that they're going to come up and play um, teams like Oklahoma State, teams like uh, Oklahoma in the title in the title run. And I think that if the Bruins can hold their own, you know, just as as you say, the Bruins are beatable. Anybody's beatable, especially 
when UCLA can be if they're clicking on all cylinders if the pitching is there you know these are this is by the way a group that hasn't played together very much Jordan Woolery Megan Grant they're freshmen um, you look at you know a player like Charlize Palacios she's a transfer she's a two-time uh, Pac-12 first team selection she hasn't played with this group Brooke Giannis in her first season with the Bruins this is a group that hasn't played together very often but there is so much depth on this team that not only can they make a run man they are certainly title worthy the talent is there they get some they get some insane support from their crowds um and they love playing together you can see it when they're out there they're smiling having fun they're excited about playing and it's a new player to step up every single time and i i think that's what's great about it they also have one of the best pitchers and and field players in the country. Megan Faramo, 13-1 this season. She's been incredible. Um, one of the top wins leaders in the country and strikeout leaders, might I add. And Maya Brady, who just continues to show out at the plate. It seems like nothing can keep her down. Um, so, hey, this is just – it's a, top to bottom. It's an unbelievable roster, and no doubt they have, they have plenty of room for a title run. And uh, – I feel really confident about them winning the Pac-12 as well and and one of the the toughest conference in the country in softball, in my opinion. Yeah, so that's a lot to digest for Max, who does call some UCLA sports, including UCLA softball. So he's seen them up close and personal, so he knows exactly what he's talking about. He'll be back again next episode and throughout the weekend as well as we get deeper into keys for UCLA versus South Carolina. UCLA versus Gonzaga and maybe even some volleyball mentions and we'll we'll talk baseball again coming up soon we've got a lot of content here on Locked On UCLA go make Locked On College Basketball your second listen because they are a great show with Andy Patton and Isaac Shade in the meantime for Max Kelton I'm Zach Anderson Yoxheimer for the Locked On UCLA podcast and just as we always like to do it and that and this show with an eight clap baby and one two three four five six seven eight you see L.A. UCLA fight, fight, fight. This has been Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins.